Hey guys, today we're going to talk about the trends that we saw in gear from 2010 to 2019. It seems like every decade seems to define itself not only with music, but with the gear that's used in that music. I've made myself a nice little list here on my phone so we can talk about it. Let's get into it. I want to share with you what I think this decade will be remembered for with the gear that was created in it. First, Roasted Maple Necks. Now, they were being used before 2010, but definitely they took off, let's say, towards the end of this decade, to the point where they were not only used in high-end guitars like Sirs, but in low-end guitars like Harley Benton's. They found themselves everywhere, and they seem to be gaining popularity. And whether you like them or not, doesn't matter. The point of this is, it's definitely a trend, and it definitely is going to be known for this decade. The next thing is IRs, impulse responses, are definitely something that took effect. And they really changed the way people record and even play at home. I really think they made the modeling amps and processors what they are now. Without them, I don't know if we would be able to have the success we see with the Axe Effects and the Kemper or two notes, even these, uh, you know, putting uh, attenuators on amps and having the digital IRs. I really think it's a big deal. And I think that it's going to be either something that will continue on, or if it doesn't, it will definitely be something we look back and go, oh yeah, that was definitely that decade. Next is fan fret guitars. Now, this is another thing. Dingwall was doing fan fret uh, basses and guitars uh, way before this decade, but it definitely took off in this decade. That is for sure. You saw it being, again, used in the higher end instruments, but then the lower end, and then in more mainstream instruments. It's something that's definitely, I think this decade gets to claim, yes, fan frets were a thing that definitely took off in this decade. The other thing that took off in this decade was the mainstream mini amplifier. In other words, pre-2010, sure, we had mini amps. You had Epiphone made a little mini amp. Uh, Vox had the, uh, the Night Train or little mini amps like that. There was all kinds of mini amplifiers, little heads and combos, especially heads. But it definitely took off this decade in being uh, the mainstream. In other words, everything from the Freedmans to the Mesa Boogies to EVH to Engel, you know, everybody really developed and came out with a, not only a good small amplifier, but those small amplifiers overtook big amplifiers. This decade pretty much seals the, I don't want to say the death, but it really brings to an end the big amplifier uh, dominance, right? I'm not saying they're going away. I'm just saying they're not the dominant amplifier anymore. The small amps definitely took over and become dominant during this decade. Next, we have stainless steel frets. Again, something else that I had on my Parker guitar and, uh, you know, guitars used before these, this decade of 2010 to 2019. But, again, really, really rooted itself into the mainstream. It's actually, if it's not in a high-end guitar now, it seems to be an immediate ding against the guitar. In other words, people get upset that they didn't put the stainless steel frets on there. Now, I'm not saying every guitar should have stainless steel frets. And again, like everything, I'm not saying that uh, you, you, you know, everyone loves stainless steel frets. I'm just saying that that trend definitely took effect in this decade, and I think it'll be known for the future as such. The next one is clip-on tuners. Clip-on tuners, again, were around before 2010, but it wasn't until Snark really took the market, and that was in about uh, mid-2010 when Snark really took over and companies just followed. They, they couldn't stop but try to catch up with Snark. I remember when the Snark tuners came out, and at that time, you know, you had clip-on tuners, and people bought them, but really everybody bought the CA, I want to say the CA and the GA Korg tuners, and of course the Bind. There was all these tuners that were people buying, plus, you know, the floor tuners and rack mount tuners, and when the clip-on tuner movement came, it came on hard, and it 
definitely took over. That's definitely something for this decade to look back and go, yeah, the clip-on tuners, if they stay in the future, this is where they started. And if they go away, it'll be like, remember when everybody had a clip-on tuner? <laughs> Either way, it's definitely something that's going to be attached to this decade. Another thing that this decade will have that uh, I don't think future decades will have is guitar lines having more ebony and rich light and maple fretboards than Rosewood. Obviously because of the CITES agreement and companies backing off Rosewood so much and using ebony. I mean, we saw Fender high-end guitars with ebony and not even being offered in Rosewood. That'll be unique. So I definitely think this decade is going to be known for all of that, especially since the CITES uh, has an exception now and musical instruments are now excluded from the CITES agreement which means you're gonna may see Rosewood pop back very quickly and all the guitars again and it'll just be looked back as this time where there was rich light and there was there was tons of ebony especially ebony I've never seen so many guitars have ebony in the entire time of playing guitar as this decade so it'll be interesting to see if that's something that continues or now that Rosewood is excluded from musical instruments if manufacturers will go back to Rosewood as the as the cost go down for not having to do the paperwork. The other thing this decade will bring is two things. The failure of the auto-tuning, robot-tuning systems. Everything from the PV guitar that tried to tune itself electronically to, of course, the G4 system by Gibson that was a colossal failure. Uh, all of these tuning stability systems on guitars were a colossal failure, but... Like every yin, there's a yang. The Evertune system really took off in this decade. It really became a mainstay. It's a highly desired product in a ton of high-end guitars and now mid-priced guitars. The Evertune is essentially just like those units. It's something designed to keep your guitar in tune differently. I'm not saying the Evertune tunes your guitar or tunes in different tunings, but it's the same kind of challenge of how do I get a guitar to stay in tune at all times or do a tuning at all times. And the Evertune is the success of those failures. And the last thing I I think that this uh, this decade will be known for is apps, uh, apps like apps on your phone. I think more products this decade came out with apps, of course, because of the fact that the technology, the phones and the tablets uh, really kind of broadened this decade. But more importantly, it seems like manufacturers really dove into uh, products using apps. I think when you look back, that's going to figure out that's where it rooted itself in is this decade. Obviously, not everyone's going to agree with my list. That's the whole point of me making my list. It's my list. And some of you guys are going to have some not only disagreements of what's on the list, but some people are going to think I missed some stuff. I would love to know what you think I missed. Put that down below. And if you disagree, some of the things you think that's uh, not accurate, you know, keep in mind, these are my perceptions of this stuff in the decade. I tried to keep the things that were made or started in this decade. But to be honest with you, some of the things I mentioned did start before this decade. But again, this is what I'm talking about it became a trend or it became popular. A lot of big bands we say are from decades like 80s or 90s or 70s, but to be honest with you, they were making albums and popular before that. It's just a hit in those decades. That's what I'm talking about with this gear today. This is gear I think hit. It became a mainstay. It became a thing in this decade and it may either uh, survive from now on from this decade or it may die and we'll look back of, oh, that's when that was popular in the the 2010 to 2019 era. The best and worst gear that I think that happened in this decade.
Uh, like everything on the internet, there is an argument about when the decade begins and ends. So just so you know, um, I chose to do it this way because I like to think of things as the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. That's the way I like to think of it. So I'm going to go 2010 to 2019. For clarification, before I start this list, I'd like you to know that these are just my opinions. There's no facts here. It's just what I thought was the coolest piece of gear and maybe the least favorite piece of gear. Best guitar of the decade from 2000. Uh, 10 to 2019, I thought was the Strandberg guitars. And, and here's why. I think Strandberg is one of the first, well, if not the first, one of the biggest um, transformation guitars. In other words, we took a, a generation of players from Strat Les Pauls to a Strandberg. Of course, we saw this in the 80s with the Super Strats, but the Strandberg is definitely something crazy. If you haven't played a Strandberg, and this is what I want to say, if you haven't played a Strandberg or picked up that neck, before you ever put a comment down below, I really hope you take the time to try that before you say anything about it. It to a lot of players, it is a is a great guitar. To a lot of players, it's a horrible guitar. That's why I think it stands out in this decade. It's something that's so different that I don't think the average player would pick it up and go, yeah, yeah, this is for me. So the fact that it's gained so much ground uh, is impressive. The worst guitar of the decade is the entire 2015 Gibson lineup, mainly because it was a colossal failure, but also uh, I didn't like the guitars at all. The 2015 Gibsons, of course, had the uh, Robo G-Force tuners, the brass nut, which I actually like, but it I didn't like that it was wider and it fell off when you took the strings off and it wore out too fast. I think they had to make like titanium replacements for it. Best amp of the decade it goes to the 5150, the EVH 5150-50 watt head. And the reason I decided that uh, from my opinion was a couple reasons. One, it's a three channel amp that actually has three good channels. Uh, good clean, good rock, and good metal tone. It contends with a lot of amps that are double the price, plus having you know an iconic name like EVH attached to it. The other thing I thought was cool is it comes in like the black and the white, which is a different thing. You don't see a whole lot of amps, especially affordable amps coming in multiple colors or choices. And the other thing that made it stick out of the amp is even the, the biggest critique of that amp when it came out was that they were sharing the volume to to the, the clean and the gain channel on the one and two channels. And they've since fixed that. So uh, that's impressive in itself. Very, very few times do you see an amp company fix or modify an amp based on customer feedback. A lot of companies will fight the customer feedback for many years by like, no, no, it was designed that way. It's supposed to be that way. So the fact that they, uh, they did a good job redesigning the amp uh, just made me even like it even more. The worst amp of the decade is actually two. It's the Excelsior and the Greta by Fender. These are the not Fender Fender amps. This was a horrible idea as far as I'm concerned. Here's why. You have the biggest amp company, guitar amp company in the world, and they're great ideas like, hey, let's build two amps that we don't put our branding on. Now, I understand they were the pawn shop series and it was based on something you would want to see in a pawn shop or you might come across some kind of stray jam. And they're actually not that bad of amplifiers, by the way. For what they are, they were pretty good sounding amps. Um, I like them both. Actually, I prefer the Excelsior over the... Uh, it's Excelsior, right? Yeah, Excelsior over the Greta. Um, but... Uh, biggest complaint was, why not just brand them Fender? Even if they were just pawn shop amps, why not just have pawn shop amps that are Fender. They had pawn shop guitars that are Fender. This to me was a big mistake and I think uh, I, I think it was a failure in the marketing of it, of course. This is one that's going to get people upset. <laughs> the best pedal of the decade. Oh yeah, right. So I actually have two and I had to do two and I know it sounds like a cop out, but I hope 
hopefully my explanation of the two will make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm going to start with the one that I think that uh, you guys will understand why I picked it. The BEOD by Friedman. It's a amp in a box pedal platform. In other words, a pedal that's designed to give us for a $200 price point, a $3,000 amp. And that pedal not only hit the market like gangbusters, they sold, you know, a million dollars worth of pedals in the first year. Um, they, it also has been staying around and you're seeing it staying on pedal boards. I think based on the market presentation, uh, the sound of the pedal, the quality, and uh, I, I think that's why I picked it best. However, the reason why there's two in this category is I really feel like the LPD-87 also needs a mention, which is the Lawrence Petros pedal. If you're a fan of this channel, you know who Lawrence Petros is. He's a pedal builder who approached me a few years ago. I did some reviews and we became friends and I love his pedals. Viewers of this channel love his pedals. The 87 is definitely a groundbreaking, amazing sounding pedal. It's on my pedal board behind me right there. <laughs> and uh, it's a mainstay on my pedal board all the time. It's a mainstay on a lot of yours pedals uh, on the board. The problem is I didn't want to just put that pedal because so many people don't know what it is. They're handmade by Lawrence. It's a much different pedal than anyone else. First pedal of the decade is the Electro Harmonics Crying Tone Wah pedal. This pedal, when I first saw it, I thought, what the heck is this? Now keep in mind, I think it came out the same year as somebody came out with a wah pedal that goes in your shoes. I'm not exaggerating. And this pedal was funny because you step on it, as you can see, it rocks like a rocking horse. And uh, the idea is that, you know, you just kind of rock it with your foot. It actually had a complaint. The complaint was it wouldn't fit on a pedal board because there's no way to attach it to anything. It just laid on the floor. So they made a cradle for it. Whether or not I felt it's no good or not, obviously I think a lot of people agreed. Maybe a couple of you guys out there have this stuff and like it. Uh, put that in the comments down below. I'd love to hear the, the counterpoint. Maybe we all missed the, the magic of it through this the silliness of the way it presented itself. That's really what it is. Uh, I'm not really saying it's the worst sounding pedal, but on the same note, and this is always really important, I want to give Electro Harmonics some credit for trying something different. If companies don't try crazy stuff like this, uh, there's no way we're going to find that next successful crazy product that we like. So kudos for them for trying something crazy, but unfortunately it fell short. This one is another controversial one. This is the best effects unit of the decade. And the best one I decided is the Helix Stomp. And here's why. Right now, as the Kemper uh, AxeFX guys are typing all the hateful comments down below, uh, the rest of you guys can listen to this explanation. Hopefully it'll make sense. Um, although I think, and I can agree with a lot of people that I think the AxeFX is a better sounding unit than Helix. Um, that's all, of course, opinions, but my opinion is the AxeFX is my favorite of the three, the Kemper, the Helix, uh, uh, of the three, Helix, Kemper, and the AxeFX. The AxeFX is my favorite sounding unit. When I listen to it, it's the it has the best tones to my ears. I like it the most. So why did I pick the Helix Stomp? Well, it's the form factor. The idea that what Helix did, I think, is really crazy. Because here's why. This year, I traveled so much, and I did so much. I was hanging out with touring musicians. I was hanging out with other YouTubers. And what I saw was that pedal everywhere being used. It wasn't just sitting around, okay? Not saying the Axifex isn't being used. Of course it's being used. But what I'm saying is the Helix Stomp was used in every kind of category I could see. It was being used as as a as a reviewing platform. It was being used as a performing platform. It was being used as a recording platform. It was being used as a backup unit. It was a really impressive unit and I would be uh, 
sad if I didn't say what I thought, which is I thought it was the best effects unit of the decade. I don't have a worst effects unit of the decade. To be honest with you, I didn't think it was fair, so I'm gonna leave it off of the category. It's my video, I'll do whatever I want. I will tell you my least favorite of the effects units, which was the Head Rush, although it was a good unit. It's my least favorite of the four mainstays. Um, I even prefer the boss stuff over it, but uh, it's still not the worst uh, because like I said, all the effects units are still pretty impressive for the time. Here's another one that's gonna be fun, the best solid state amp of the decade. Now, I gotta say the Katana. The reason is, of course, it's affordable. Everybody's using it. It's a great sounding amplifier. And I wanna put a caveat on this one. I'm going to stay officially that my favorite solid state amp of the decade was the Katana. So there you go. I hope everybody's happy. But I do wanna put a caveat that deep down, I really believe the Black Spirit was the best solid state amp. But again, the issue, reason why I picked the Katana over the Black Spirit was the Black Spirit is about four times the price. And although it's got some impressive qualities and, and I'm really impressed with how loud it is, how, how good it sounds, how versatile it is, I think the Katana for the most part should win just because of the price factor. But I wanna give an honorable mention to the Black Spirit because they had brought a great product. I told Hughes and Kittner in Germany and I uh, hope they took it to heart that they really need to focus on trying to figure out how to get that technology down closer to the Boss Katana price point and they would probably dominate the market. That's a great sounding product. If they can get anything close to that thing down to anywhere close to the price points of Katana, I think you'll see Hughes and Kittner hitting it strong this next decade. Worst solid state amp was the Four Force RM1. You guys probably don't remember this thing. It was pretty horrible. It was basically somebody took a plastic can, like a gas can, <laughs> stuck a metal grill in a speaker. They made it for like $138. And of course, they don't make them anymore, or at least you don't see them anymore. Uh, so that's my worst category. Best acoustic guitar. Now, a best acoustic guitar is a little tough because acoustic guitars, for the most part, there's not a whole lot of new brands popping up and not everything in this list is products that only exist in this decade. It's just the best products of the decade. I've decided that the best acoustic goes to Cole Clark. A lot of you do not know who Cole Clark is. What I wanna do is I'll put a link, of course, to a lot of the stuff down below. Cole Clark is a guitar company that's made in Australia from woods that are indigenous to Australia and they sound fantastic. These guitars, price themselves at just below what a comparable Taylor guitar would go for. And as much as I'm a Taylor fan, I'm a Cole Clark fan. I think that if you ever get a chance to see a Cole Clark when you walk by or anywhere at a store or a, a, a show, definitely put your hands on it. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. I think they're the company that I think that a lot of companies should look at as an innovative design and a cool sounding instrument. I don't have a worst acoustic guitar because again, the problem would be I'd be picking on some kind of entry level acoustic guitar. There was no acoustic guitars that really stuck out to me as being so horrible. Every time I was like, yeah, that's not a great guitar. The price point was like $100 and there really isn't a whole lot of like $3,000 horrible acoustic guitars that I could say. So in this category, unfortunately, we don't have a worst, but that's the whole point. Uh, I don't want to make a worst just because the, the list says make a worst and a best. If there wasn't a reason, I'm not doing it. How about the best inexpensive guitar or cheap guitars? We know it. Uh, obviously we did the expensive guitars. Let's do the inexpensive guitars. I think the best inexpensive guitar that I saw this decade that I put my hands on was Tajima. Um, and a lot of people uh, still misunderstand how important that is. I have done now a couple videos of Tajima guitars 
I have never even met anyone at Tejima, nor have they interacted with me in any way. I had, uh, I, my friend Marty Schwartz bought one of the Tejimas, I bought another one. That's how they ended up on the video. That tells you a lot about how you feel about those products. Um, I didn't need a company to be involved. Uh, we found them, loved them, and purchased them. Um, so I really impressed with them at almost all their price points. It's a very impressive brand And I think if you guys get the chance to check them out, although there's great brands sure What I could I say Harley Benton and all those other brands sure, but Tajima is what stuck out to me as the best That's why I picked it the worst cheap guitar I think for the decade goes to AXL and Johnson those two brands and the reason is is because there's uh, inexpensive guitars have made huge leaps and bounds this decade between like I said what we talked about the uh, the glaries and the the how cheap the glaries got and how how good the Harley Bittens got SX and agile guitars there's so many good affordable off-brand guitars out there I think that the old-school AXLs and uh, Johnson guitars that we saw in those little small shops across the country and other places they're just not up to date and when you pick them up they feel really outdated they feel like before the companies really were trying really hard to get your dollar but i want to talk about some of the most innovative products that i felt happened this decade and uh first one goes to the bonsai pedal by jhs the reason why is because that's a pedal that i think that most pedal builders when they saw him come out with that went of course, why not just put all the Tube Screamer chips in one pedal? And uh, I've talked about this on the podcast. Somebody asked me, you know, uh, do I have it? Would I like it? And I explained that I already have all the Tube Screamers. But honestly, if you're thinking about getting Tube Screamers and you don't have two or three already, get that. <laughs> in fact, I, I haven't decided why I would want to sell all my Tube Screamers and get that. Um, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised one day if I do, because like I said, having it all in one pedal, it's a good quality pedal. It's under $200, which is this price of two, two scre tube screamers. Uh, it's very impressive. And like I said, innovative innovation doesn't have to be the hardest thing out there. It doesn't have to be, oh my goodness, they redesigned everything to the point where you know no one understands how it works. Sometimes innovation comes with just a simple idea of, hey, why don't I just figure out how to put all those chips in one pedal and solve everybody's problem. Very cool, cool pedal for sure. Uh, and the most innovative guitar amp goes to the, the Pete Thorne PT-15 by Sir. Because I, I decided that because one, it's a great sounding amp, it's a cool amp, but more importantly, when I was at the NAMM show in 2019 in January, I have never heard so many amp companies say the same thing in one place, which was, we are going to have a IR system built into our amps in the future too. Everybody seemed like they were immediately, like that amp really shook the industry as a whole as everybody's really going to focus on that. Now, I understand that Rev has an amp that's like it. I want to give them the honorable mention. Although their amp is more affordable, it's nice. It's a pedal platform product and it's a little different than the PT. So again, they also came with the idea. So I don't want to not give them credit for also having the idea simultaneously to put the uh, IR loaders in the, in the amplifier. Most innovative guitar of the deck I decided for me, it's my, again my list, it's the Music Man Majesty, the John Petrucci Majesty. That guitar is a guitar that, even though there's so many fantastic guitars, like I said, the Strandberg, very innovative. Uh, when I see the Majesty, one thing I will say is the acoustics on that, the acoustic sound on that is mind-blowingly good. It just really sounds good. Um, the guitar is very comfortable to play. It's out there, it's different for sure, don't get me wrong. It sounds great, it's, it's a performing piece. Uh, for sure, it plays fantastic, and you're seeing it more and more, and I just really thought it was a cool guitar, and I definitely have to give them credit. 
Even the aesthetics of it, although are odd, very innovative, and the idea that the, the carbon fiber part is actually wood, it just, it's a very cool guitar, and I, that's why I picked it. That was my most innovative uh, guitar of the decade. Now, this is a category I decided to add in. It's brand image. Who had the best brand image in this decade and who had the worst? And I think the worst is going to be very predictable, unfortunately. Uh, the best is Kiesel. I think Kiesel guitars. Uh, Kiesel guitars rebranded itself or pulled itself away from as the company separated, the Carvin side and the Kiesel side separated. The guitar side, the Kiesel side, in 2015 has, in my opinion, done something I've never seen before, to take a brand and re-change re it, rename it, and turn it into what it is now, which is a very desired product line, uh, is very impressive. And um, I will say this, if you're a pro or against Kiesel, that's fine. I, I don't really uh, judge you either way. <laughs> we can all be friends. Uh, I will say this. You should really pay attention if you're a guitar company this next decade to watching what Jeff Kiesel and those guys are doing. Um, whether, whether it is you're paying attention or not, they are really gaining a lot of ground in the uh, social media platform as themselves and in the design platform. It's been a really impressive thing to watch. Um, so that's my... I think the best brand image of the decade. The worst brand image is Gibson, of course. And I would love to say this. I was going to leave them off this list because um, I feel like, man, it's twice that I'm nailing Gibson on this. But I have to be honest, not only was it a bad image for the decade, up until 2019 with the rebrand image, the sad thing is Gibson could have easily been my, my best image instead of Kiesel. In 2019, they rebranded, they restructured, they re-came at us. And uh, I think they could have won us over like Kiesel did. But instead, as you know, they made a couple horrible blunders this year, and uh, it's just really sad to see. And I, like I said, I hate to be this way, but it's a disaster to watch. And last but not least, the most innovative product, uh, and this is a general product that I decided, I decided it would be the Ox, uh, the Ox Attenuator with the IRs. Again, another product that you see uh, everyone using because it gives you the ability to take things like your old amplifiers that you couldn't record with at, uh, at night or go to gigs. It's a great product. There's a reason why you're seeing it everywhere. Uh, I finally got to try one out and I have to say I was really pleasantly impressed. That is my list of the best and worst and most innovative products of the decade of 2010 to 2019. Uh, whether, you regret, whether you agree this is a decade or it's next decade or whatever it is, at least it's 10 years. It's the best product for the last 10 years. It's my opinion. Please have at the uh, comments down below. Please tell me why I'm wrong or why I'm right. I don't mind. <laughs> so put that down there below. I hope you guys are having fun, enjoying the new year. Of course, we got some cool stuff coming on the channel. I want to do this list. I thought it'd be fun. As always, I want to thank you for your time. And until next time, know your gear.